that kind of thing. I'm talking about that kind of thing. This is the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, the oldest man to ever start a podcast, Greg Cody. Ladies and gentlemen, an urgent update, and I wish it was a happier one, regarding my duck family. My neighborhood duck family is gone. It's traumatic. They were there. They were a mom and her eight babies. I was feeding them, nurturing them, loving them, and they vanished. They left in thin air. I have not seen them for days, and I have to say, intermingled with my sorrow is a little bit of anger. I mean, for weeks, I took care of that family. And did I get anything on the exit end? Not a thing. The mother, at at some point, I, I had a dream about this, in fact. You know, the mother was walking past me, trailed by her entourage for the last time, and and the mother swiveled her head toward me and dipped her beak, gave me a knowing little dip of the beak, which meant thank you. I never got that. I have two theories on your duck family. They either all are dead. Don't say that. Or they found another family that is feeding them a lot better stuff. <laughs> wow. I wish, I wish there were a third option because either of those possibilities uh, is really depressing. Which would you prefer? Oh, I want them to live. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to. Come on. They're, they're my ducks. And they're, they're Duck Cody is, uh, is the name of that family. <laughs> duck Cody. Uh, <laughs> not my brother, Dick Cody, but Duck Cody. Um, anyway, let <laughs> Let's get started. You've stumbled upon uh, the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody podcast and with Chris Cody, of course, by now, you know, is the other voice here. And um, thanks again. We're sweet 16 today. Uh, This is episode number 16. We're still still counting episodes, huh? We are. I am fixated on that. Some more than others. You know, now I get, uh, you know, Neil Sadaka is in the background singing uh, Sweet 16 and we're lighting candles around here. Neil what? Neil Sedaka. Christ, man. <laughs> I know. It's uh, look it up. It's uh, he's the second most famous, uh, third most famous uh, yodeling Neil behind um, Diamond and Young. What is the Mount Rushmore of Neils? Uh, just singing, or just in general in life, the Mount Rushmore uh, of Neils. All right, you gotta you gotta have Neil Armstrong, right? First man on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil's a pretty. It's a pretty successful name. Yeah. If, if we did a Mount Rushmore for every single name, like Michael, we got Michael Jordan. We should yeah. do that. We should do every episode Mount Rushmore of names. You know, that's not a bad idea. And we're going to start next episode. We're going to start with A. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea. But we're going to we're going to table that because we're going to dive in here. Did you happen to see uh, Dave Chappelle's 846 mini? I don't know what you'd call it. A, a 27 minute documentary. What was it? It's essentially a, a stand-up special, but it wasn't very funny. It was very powerful. I did see it. It was poignant. It was necessary. It was really, I think every person, especially white people, should watch it. Yeah, you, you can't watch it and not be moved by the, the passion that just comes from the, the bottom of his shoes and bubbles up. Um, it was pretty 
profound to hear. But, you know, it, it's weird. The, the one takeaway that I had from that was the, the whole idea that, you know, this movement that we're seeing on our streets doesn't depend on celebrity to back it. It doesn't depend on the Dave Chappelle's or the LeBron James's. This is totally organic. You know, it, it, it's ri- grassroots. It's rising from literally from the streets. And, um, and we're just here commenting on it. You know, the, the celebrities are just here commenting on it. it it's, it's the people who are out there protesting, uh, 99% of it peaceful, that are making this change happen. And, and I do feel like it's actual change. We're watching history sort of be reworked right before our eyes and right on our own streets. And it's pretty profound. And um, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a small example of it. They, they had a NASCAR race uh, down at our end of the peninsula uh, over the past weekend, and, and the big race was on Sunday. The Dixie Vodka 400. I love that a sport that involves driving cars really fast is sponsored by a vodka. A little like a medical symposium having Marlboro for its name sponsor. But, you know, we don't, we don't get to motorsports much on, on this podcast, but this was NASCAR's first race since it banned confederate flags from all of its tracks uh, suddenly disassociating completely from one of the the long-standing symbols of its southern roots i never thought i would live to see that day and hallelujah bubba wallace the the lone black driver on nascar's main circuit had called for the ban he ran sunday in a in a black car flying the black lives matter hashtag and a few days earlier several nascar stars had gotten together on a public service video for social justice and against police brutality. This is a watershed thing happening. It's another example of, of why I see George Floyd's death as a real tipping point on, on the continuing climb to racial equality. NASCAR would never have been the place to look for leadership on these kind of matters. What the sports leadership did is right and ballsy and opportunistic. NASCAR is seeing the wave and, and riding it. They're, they're trying to get on the right side of it. So many fans will swear at and swear off NASCAR, or at least say they will. Heck, a, a, a truck series driver named Ray Cicciarelli already has quit the sport to protest the flag ban. And a quick aside about Ray Cicciarelli. He has one top 10 finish in four years and zero laps run in 2020. He's a grain of sand on the beachhead of racing. He's nobody. Did you say his name is Racist Cicerelli? <laughs> Very good. Ray Cicerelli. Racist Arelli. Yeah. I, I haven't met Ray, so I don't want to go as far as to call him a racist, only to say that... Um, I just quick. thought that's what I heard you say. Like, I right. was listening and I, it sounded like you said it quick. Racist Cicerelli. Ray yeah. Cicerelli? <laughs> I mean, it's his name. I, 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 I'm not, it's Ray Cicerelli. Yeah, maybe it was a Freudian slip by my part, or, or maybe it's appropriate that he's got that name. But hey, Ray... Uh, you will be remembered only for the wrong side you chose. You shan't be missed. And um, yes, people still do say the word shan't, uh, contraction for shall not. Um, I, I want to get back real quickly to the Confederate flag as supposedly representing Southernness. I understand that plenty of people um, don't see anything sinister in the Confederate flag, and, and to them it's an honest symbol of of their southernness or what have you but it's also fair to note that the anti-defamation league lists the confederate flag among general hate symbols as quote a potent symbol of slavery and white supremacy that is quote outside of the south a symbol offensive to many americans 
Um, look, you, you may see nothing wrong with the Confederate flag, but it isn't all about you. Empathy for others is what has to come out of this. And, and a final note about the Confederate flag, because a lot of us forget this. I, I was just a young kid at the time. It was the 1860s. People forget that the, the whole Confederacy only lasted four or five years. It was a failed ideology. So why 160 years later are so many people uh, finding the symbol of the Confederate flag so important uh, for a, a blip in history that lasted five years? I don't quite get that. But for me, NASCAR hasn't snuffed out any of your Southern heritage. Uh, what it's done is given folks in the Deep South and, and race fans in general, frankly, a chance to redefine themselves and, and erase some of the old negative stereotypes. That, that's my read on it. It's an important page turning, uh, if only symbolically, what NASCAR's done. So good for them. Now, NASCAR, what you have to do is end your sponsorship agreement with a certain gun website that happens to also sell Confederate flags and KKK symbols. Uh, I'm not even going to say the name of the website here, but NASCAR knows who it is and they need to drop that association entirely. Now, let's talk sports a little bit. Before we jump into the sports, I, I have a fun game that I want to play. Good. I found a website where it's, it has the 21 worst food ideas ever. <laughs> Canned cheeseburger. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, man. I, I, as a general rule, I don't like, like much of anything that's in a can, and, and cheeseburger in a can would probably be real high on that list. Carbonated yogurt. You know what? I can see that. What about the McLobster? It's a lobster sandwich that is offered in Canada in some McDonald's a few times a year. Uh, you know what? As someone whose roots are in New England, I've eaten a lot of lobster rolls in my time, and it's, it's a delicacy. So, yes, I can see a McLobster. What about Cheetos lip balm? <laughs> is it orange? Does it turn your lips orange? Yeah, I don't know. Probably. And this has to be one of the worst ideas ever. And it's true. At one point, Sylvester Stallone had a pudding. It was called Sylvester Stallone Pudding. <laughs> oh, that's a brilliant name, really. I mean, why, you know, why get fancy? Just, just go directly at it. I would eat Sylvester Stallone pudding. I really at, would. At one point, Colgate was like, you know what? We're crushing it in the toothbrush and toothpaste region. We need to get into the kitchen entrees. And at one point, they tried a, a frozen dinner, a Colgate frozen dinners. Oh, my God. And it, it had to taste like toothpaste. You're eating a piece of fried chicken that tastes like toothpaste. It's just awful. And um, if I had I, to put one piece of food in front of Jello, that would be the worst Jello ever. What would you guess? Blank Jello. Um, celery Jello. Celery? Celery Jello. Oh, that does sound pretty awful. Although one of my favorite spices is celery salt. As um, as a lot of you know about me, uh, I cannot eat a grilled hot dog without celery salt. Uh, wow. I want that to be a prominent part of I, my dog. I can't believe this is a list of the worst food ideas because this is just fantastic. It's a pizza cone. <laughs> okay. I, I, I want to I know more. Uh, you have my attention. It's essentially just a piece of pizza like twirled up into the shape of a cone. You know what's weird is that most of these bad ideas that I've heard so far sound pretty damn good to me. Yeah, that's it. That was fun. That was a good little game. 
Hey, um, back to your serious stuff. And I just, you know, I felt like, I felt like I wanted to lighten it up a little bit. So. No, I, I appreciate that. And I do want to talk before we dive into the meat of the show, I do want to talk about uh, sports restarting a little bit because I'm beginning to have doubts. Okay. I feel like um, we have done this segment in every, all 16 episodes have included sports restarting. When are they going to restart? They right. kind of are. Golf is back. We had golf this weekend. That and actually, NASCAR. and NASCAR, yeah, NASCAR. I mean, let's be real. All the Confederate flag stuff is a very important conversation. I'm glad we're having it. No one actually gives a shit about NASCAR itself. I mean, come on. Let's be real. Uh, they, they do when it involves uh, banning the Confederate flag. That was major as we spoke about. But right. I think all 16 episodes we've done have in some ways touched upon the whole sports is gone. When is it coming back? Sports is finally on the horizon. And, and the reason is that we're the pandemic podcast. Um, Bingo. We're playing uh, Greg Cody show bingo. What does that mean? You saying that we're the pandemic podcast. <laughs> okay. Is... is it like a drinking game? Mm-hmm. So you, people get a shot now. We are the pandemic podcast. We started uh, like a week before the whole world caved in. So uh, we've been along for the ride with you. So quarantining and wearing masks and all that stuff right along with you. But the new thing I want to bring to this is that it seems like sports is definitely going to be back now. Soccer basketball hockey they all have specific plans we have now have dates we can circle all right this is when this is happening but i'm beginning to uh, put this in the i'll believe it when i see it category i mean baseball could not be in a worse position in terms of acrimony a fight over money i wonder if baseball's when it's going to start and and we see nba players supposedly having hesitation about returning to orlando and all being together it's just and, and compounding all that, we are seeing what was entirely predictable, which is uh, the opening up of states has caused a notable spike in the coronavirus. Um, and it's, it's, part of it is that there's more testing, but part of it is that it's axiomatic. You, the, the more you open up, the, the more people are going to contract this virus, which is not done away with yet, and there's no cure yet, so no vaccine yet. So I don't know. I can't picture sports starting in in summer i hope i'm wrong i dearly hope i'm wrong i mean you must know something that a lot of people don't know because outside of baseball every sport is all systems go so i think that they're just kind of saying like we're going to keep the areas where we're playing these sports as safe as possible and they're going to and they're probably going to go with the theory of these places are going to be actually safer than your standard city because that city is open to the public for everything and in Orlando, these guys are going to be basically quarantined. Right. No, I, I, I get that. And uh, apparently NBA players are going to be tested every other day. Um, so the, the safeguards are going to be enormous. Uh, you know, but, but there is a faction of NBA players. I think it was that conference call that Kyrie Irving led. There's a faction of NBA players who think it's wrong, you know, to be playing basketball again when all these protests are, are in the streets and, and everything uh, happening that's caused them. There is a feeling there about that. There's just a lot of complications to sports starting again. And I dearly hope that they do. And I'm looking forward to them starting. But I just think there's a lot of obstacles between now and five weeks from now when things are actually beginning to start again in sports. Put it on the scroll. Greg Cody hopes sports starts back up. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that after uh, after earlier saying I'll believe it when I see it. I don't mean to be too pessimistic. If I'm a betting man, uh, I think it's going to happen. But I think there's a lot of complications that um, that still need to be ironed out uh, all over the place. All right, let's try to have some fun. All right, let's get right to it. Um, I have a green thumb. 
And uh, a week or so ago, uh, I'm in the backyard. Christopher's there helping me. We're doing some yard work. And he takes out his phone. And I, I think I'm having a nice, uh, you know, gardening session with my boy. And, uh, and all of a sudden, he's interviewing me. Let's check that out. All right, we are in the backyard of one Greg Cody, my childhood backyard I'm looking at right now. And this man has, over the last few months, really tried to turn this backyard into something special. You've planted a couple trees. I'm looking at one of them right now. What have you really tried to do with this backyard? Well, I've tried to turn it into my own little paradise. Uh, There's a lot of plants back here that weren't here. We have a nice pergola providing shade with a table under it. I want it to be a place that, you know, I spend a lot of time in my garage. I want to make this backyard so comfortable and pleasing to the eye that, uh, that, that this is where I want to be. Now, the reason that we're actually back here talking right now is that on this past weekend, my dad, me, and my brother, we, I'm sure you gave it some stupid name, like, you know, Planting Trees 2020 or some yeah, stupid. Tree, tree Plant Saturday. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so we planted a couple trees. One's a little tree, a little guy over there I'm looking at. He seems to be doing okay, but we planted a bigger one that you said will grow. Like right now, I'd say it's about seven feet, eight feet tall, but this thing apparently will grow bigger and fast and it will be a big shade tree. So we have big expectations for this tree, but we're five, what is it, three or four days in to this tree being planted and I'm looking at a sad tree right now. It doesn't look like it's taken yet to the soil. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little concerned. We're, uh, it's, it's a uh, Queen's crepe myrtle tree. And um, for those who know a little bit about trees, it'll get to be about 30 feet But uh, most important, it also will have a wide canopy of at least 20, 25 feet. So it it will be a shade tree someday. And because it's fast growing, uh, hopefully it will be a shade tree in my lifetime. I'm looking at it right now, though. It doesn't look like it's going to be fast growing anytime soon. I'm seeing a lot of dead leaves. I'm seeing it just is this a common thing with trees and planting and planting stuff where it could look dead for a few days and then it could be end up being fine? Well, you know what? Uh, I'm playing it by ear right now. <clears throat> you know, I'm <clears throat> I'm not supposed to fertilize for a few weeks, but uh, uh, I may have to make an executive order and uh, and fertilize it sooner because I'm I'm concerned with the way it looks right now, particularly uh, the fact that a lot of the leaves are going from green to yellow. Never a good sign with a tree. What's up with your voice? <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just um I have one of those things where you feel like clearing your throat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just I have I have high I have high hopes for this tree, and it's just it's making me nervous. And I guess we'll maybe report back in a couple weeks. But yes. it's 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 looking kind of sad right now. Well, I'm going to give it a quick prune this afternoon. Uh, I'm why don't you Why don't you water it right now? Why don't you go get this? Why don't I talk? I'll fill, and you go get the hose, and let's water this thing. Uh, actually, as good as that might be, uh, I need to do that later because uh, I watered this morning. I don't want to overwater. You it. can overwater a tree. Oh yeah, you are, are you sure can. about that? Or are you just saying that? No, I'm I'm sure about that. Well, all right. I guess that's it. I guess well now we'll send it back to you and I because <laughs> we're talking, and yet this is the middle of a podcast. So exactly, but we have to update people on my Queen's crepe myrtle because now we have them emotionally engaged in the future of this tree. Not really. Yeah, let's pretend. What's up, Greg Cody Show listeners? 
Listen, this is a little special middle of the episode, a little treat for you, a little snack for you guys to munch on. Now, we record these sessions on Zoom. We do it from our house, social distancing. And today, before while we were recording, I had to step away from the computer for a few minutes because my daughter was being crazy. So we were recording. I had to step away so I didn't hear what my dad was doing. And apparently, he was just messing around singing and stuff into the mic while I was stepped away. So I listened to it in post. And I caught what pretty much to me sounds like Greg Cody singing the Monkees theme song, which is like a staple. If you know Greg Cody, he sings that song constantly. So that's not really the the interesting part of this sound. The interesting part is I'm pretty sure right before he starts singing, Hey, Hey, We're the Monkees, he farts. So I'm going to play the sound right now. And I want you to see if you hear the fart before he starts singing. And then we'll get back to the episode. I just wanted to drop this little nugget in the middle of the episode and see if you guys like it. So here it is. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys, baby. Because people say we're monkeying around. We're the young generation. Nobody gonna put us down. Put us down. Put us down. Yep, definitely sounded like a fart at the very beginning. Let's replay the isolated, just the fart. (sighs) Yep, sounds like a fart to me. Anyways, back to the episode. We resume with Greg Cody once again singing a song that isn't actually a song. That kind of thing. I'm talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about that kind of thing. That kind of thing. What are you doing? (laughs) He's just riffing, (laughs) trying to amuse myself. Hey, I have a buoyant, positive, encouraging update about my tree. Yes, uh, it's amazing uh, what a little TLC will do. Um, My crepe myrtle, my queen's crepe myrtle is in recovery mode. It was diagnosed with what was called transplant shock, which I didn't even know was a thing. Um, But you know, the leaves all started tur- turning yellow. It was really discouraging to me. It cost like 130 bucks, that tree. Uh, but with a little TLC, I pruned it and, and watered it and gave it some, some real attention. And lo and behold, it's coming back. It's coming back. I am seeing new uh, shoots. I'm seeing new little buds, uh, leaf buds. It's just such an encouraging thing to say. Anybody who's got a green thumb or wants to and like grows their own stuff knows exactly what I'm talking about. You nurture something that you thought was dying, you bring it back to life. What a wonderful feeling. I could talk about my, my tree for another hour. I honestly had no clue that if you play Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls for a tree, that that would help it get back its life. <laughs> I mean, Don't some- go chasing waterfalls. TLC and, and uh, uh, that stands, of course, for tender, loving care just like tcb stands for taking care of business emi Um, all right acronym time hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our guest today is is, um, an author named John Pessa. 
and he's got a new book out called Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask. It's about Yogi Berra. And I guarantee you this uh, conversation is going to interest more than just old Yankees fans because uh, Yogi's an interesting guy. I learned things about Yogi Berra I didn't know, but even better, as a bonus to this interview, um, I stumble upon the fact that John Pessa happened to be the first editor for a young developing writer named Dan Lebetard. So uh, unexpectedly, we, uh, we share a couple of tales from when Lebetard was a young pup long before he ever knew he was going to get into radio. So that's fun. And, um, and here's John Pessa. John, how are you? Good, John. How are you? Good. Hey, John, you um, have a background with ESPN. You must know my buddy Dan Levitard, right? I was Danny's first editor at uh, ESPN. Nice. Um, you know, when he was, uh, you know, just a little pup and, and uh, you know, finding his way as a columnist and going, okay, really, let's go over every question you have because I really want to know what I'm doing right and doing wrong. So, so, yeah, we go back a long way. I would like you to take full credit right now for everything Dan Levitard has become. <laughs> well, I don't know if I want to take full credit for all of that. <laughs> <laughs> He's a gifted writer. What was he like to edit? I'm just curious. Easy. Uh, he just, he, wa um, he wanted to get better. My wife used to complain to me because I used to hire people that wanted my job when I was a sports editor. And I said, that's who you want. You want people to push you. I mean, I don't need people telling me what I do right. That part I know. That was Danny. I know what I know. Tell me what I don't know. And, you know, and he was a columnist. Uh, feature writer, but there's a difference, and it's really amazing how different magazine writing and newspaper writing is. And for like five years of my time at ESPN, form development, and the first year there, I was the newspaper guy. It took a while to just kind of get the hang of, okay, well, first of all, I never got the hang of the arrogance of being a, a magazine person, but there is a difference, um, and it's a pretty big difference. And it took a while to learn you don't know what you don't know, and that's what Danny wanted to know. I am curious, what's the first thing you ever read of his or edited of his where you said to yourself, wow, this is a gifted writer? You know, I don't remember the specific, but there's two people that I've read who just, as soon as I read it, is like, okay, this is not just someone I want to hire, but this is a star. One, Steve Fainer, I don't know if you know Steve. I brother, know the name, yeah. Yeah, his brother's Mark. He went off to the Boston Globe. For, I was at the Harvard Current. He went off to the Boston Globe and then, and then won a Pulitzer covering the Iraq war for uh, um, the Washington Post. His stuff just jumped. Um, the first time I read a story that Danny wrote, it was like, okay, this kid's got it. And so let's, 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 let's develop this one. And, and we did, and a lot of credit goes to him. Hard worker. That's what really impressed me was, you know, a lot of people who are, are talented have a, 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 you know, a lot of very talented people have a big head and don't want to work. Danny did not have a big head, at least back then, and, and he definitely wanted to work. Um, and that was great. I mean, he was a pleasure to edit. It really was. It was fun. Are you at all surprised? Because I, I think I am to this day, even a little bit, surprised that a guy who was that gifted as a writer would have become the host of a radio show that really wanted to laugh and have fun first, not to be, you know, a, a hard journalism Sports right. talk show. I am. I mean, there, were, there was always that side of Dan, but being a great writer means having insight and, you know, and really understanding things in a way that, you know, and connecting dots in a way that a lot of people don't. And we don't have enough people like that. So when you lose one, it hurts, you know, and I just wish that Danny would have done both, you know, and kept the, kept writing because 
he really is a gifted writer. And, and that's a, you know, a means of communication that we need. And he really saw things in a unique perspective, which we need. And so I really wish he would go back. So please tell him that. His old, <laughs> old editor says, go back to writing every so often. I, I will do that. Uh, I know the Miami Herald um, wishes he would do more writing for it, uh, as well as I'm sure, sure ESPN does. All right, let's dive into this, John, because Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask, uh, a, a wonderfully received uh, biography of Yankees great Yogi Berra, the beloved Hall of Fame catcher. And, and I'm wondering, um, John, of all the subject matter you could choose, choose to dive into with a book, what about Yogi's life drew you in? Okay, two things. One, he was my father's favorite player. I got Yogi at 1960. Uh, so he's 35 years old. He's a very good um, role-playing outfielder. And my father just, I mean, we, you know, we are a Yankee family. And he's just shared all these stories about what a dynamic um, catcher and how he absolutely dominated the first half of the 1950s and right into the late 50s. And it's like, okay, I want to go see that play, um, number one. Because I think his persona kind of overshadows just how great of a player he was. I mean, after really researching that, plus his role in Yankee history, you look at the Yankee whole, um, Mount Rushmore, and it's got, it's Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio, and Mickey Mantle. I'm like, and I grew up being a Mickey Mantle fan. If Yogi doesn't replace Mickey, then they need five on, on Mount Rushmore, because that, I mean, Yogi belongs, that's where he is. So that, that drew me in, and um, I wanted to write something I had finished a book on labor and uh, wars and baseball and steroid wars and people trying to get George Steinbrenner's money. It's called The Game. And I loved it. I'm an investigative writer and editor. But that was, that was heavy and confrontational. And I just wanted to do something that I thought I would really enjoy and that the readers would really enjoy and would put a smile on people's face probably when I was done. Not that Yogi wasn't without his flaws, but he really was a beloved person. And, um, who knew that when I released it, that people would be so much wanting to read about someone who's inspiring and, and put a smile on their face. John, you spent four years of your life diving into this guy's life. Um, what about Yogi surprised you the most? Or what about what you discovered about him was the most surprising to you? Let me just do a couple of small things first. Um, he was a natural right-handed hitter. His brothers, um, who didn't get the chance to play because the father made him to go out and uh, work during the Depression, said, if you're going to play Major League Baseball, you need to hit lefty. It's easier. So he just turned around and hit lefty. That's the kind of off-the-charts athletic talent that Yogi, Yogi had and everything. Um, his wife didn't actually was – remember the Copacabana incident where all the Yankees got um, in trouble for a big fight at the Copacabana? Yep. Yogi was there. It was a national embarrassment. Any, anything the Yankees did was national. And he didn't want to go. His wife uh, said, you know what, He's, you're in a slump, let's go and have a good time. She felt guilty for years because he would have been asleep in his bed when all this happened and not been tarnished by, by that. Big things. Um, the guy is, is quoted more in Bartlett's uh, book of famous quotations than any president. And yet, and everyone thinks of him as, I mean, on the field, chatty, talk to the players, talk to the umpires, um, talk to anybody. Off the field, quiet to the point of being shy. Go, people told me his old teammates, the people in Montclair where he, where he lived um, from 1959 until the day he died, uh, all say, you know, you go to dinner with the guy and he's engaged, he listens, but he's just really kind of quiet. Um, that, that really surprised me. And I was really surprised by the amount of discrimination as an Italian-American. I didn't realize it was that bad. 
as well as about his looks, about his um, tone, uh, voice, about everything, you know, his looks. He was mocked well into, you know, until he took a uniform off in 1989, which is shocking. We're speaking with John Pessa, the author of the new book, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask, a wonderful biography about Yankees' great Yogi Berra. Um, I've been trying to imagine Yogi Berra being born a couple of generations later and existing in today's day and age, and I can't do it. I can't imagine it. I just wonder if there's any modern athlete who's akin to Yogi Berra, either visually or personality-wise, let alone talent-wise. You know, we always say one-of-a-kind athlete, unique athlete, but Yogi really is in a lot of ways. Unbelievably unique. I can't think of anyone personality-wise that matches up with Yogi. I just He was just one-of-a-kind. Um, Size-wise, I mean, hey, I'm a Yankee fan, and, and Jose Altuve just kills us. You know, I mean, you know, he's just a little guy and he kills us. You know, he's, he's completely shaped like a little guy, but you, you don't look at him and say power hitting star, second baseman MVP candidate. Um, right. So that those kind of players, you know, kind of remind me, I mean, Yogi, you know, ended his career with the Astros uh, for his friend, John McMullen from Montclair owned the team, wanted him to manage it. He said, no. Um, but I'll, you know, when Helen asked him to be the bench coach, he said, yes. And the last thing he told him was, you know, this kid, Bidjo you got, he's going to be great, but move him out from catcher. I mean, you're wasting the speed, you know, you're wearing him down and boy, did anybody know about being worn down as a catcher? Yogi, uh, Stengel caught him 140 games a season out of 154, 20, uh, double headers a year. So he knew about being worn down and said, move him out. He'll be a hall of famer. And he really had an eye for talent. Wow. Amazing. John, uh, I, I, think, um, I think we're going to let you go. I've, I've really appreciated your time talking about this book. I thank Chip for sort of being the conduit and, and getting us together for this. And um, thank you very much. My pleasure. Take care, Greg. All right. You too. All right, everybody. Thanks again for coming along on the ride with the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. We had a lot of fun today. Th- thanks especially to author John Pessa. Check out his new book, Yogi, A Life Behind the Mask. Um, We got deep with uh, some Confederate flag stuff and and the serious stuff, but we we had fun today, I thought, and I hope you did too. And listen, please rate, subscribe, review, and and listen, because um, we thrive uh, because of your ears. (laughs) How's that for an imagery? Because of your ears, we thrive. And uh, see us again next week. Don't see us as much as hear us on The Greg Cody Show. See you next week. Bye. (laughs) You really got a kick out of yourself there, huh? (laughs) It was like a ridiculous... All of a sudden, I'm talking about people's ears. I don't know what's going on. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.